Welcome to The Soapbox. My name is Chris Kraft. And I'm Micah Davis. We want to have conversations spanning everything from philosophy to finance, and we want you to join us. Our goal on this podcast is to share new perspectives on old ideas, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Soapbox with Chris Kraft and Micah Davis. We're going to continue our series on marriage, on the wedding vows. And so we've already done one on Till Death Do Us Part that talks about commitment and the idea of how love is a commitment, not a feeling, right? Right. And our last one was on the idea of better for worse and how we should focus on marriages and on our marriages being better instead of worse. Right. And how it can make us as individuals better and not just the couple. And something I did want to throw out again on this podcast really is the idea of we got to remember the wedding vows are about commitment. They're not about emotions. Yes. So so we we can always think, well, I don't emotionally feel, take this the way I mean it. I don't care how you feel. I, I don't care how you feel. When you make a commitment that says for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, like all of those things have to do with this is my commitment. Literally, and hate to steal a song from Moulin Rouge, but come what may. Right. Right. I don't care what comes. I am committed to you forever. Right. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk about the idea of for richer, for poor. Some of you may be saying, well, I don't want to talk about finances. Well, let me be straight. That's why America's in the financial mess we're in because we're ignoring the subject. We're not teaching in schools. We're not teaching in college. So uh, I think first Mike and I should give some background on how little financial literacy we had and how little financial teaching we had. So I'll kind of I'll give you a little bit of mine, then I'll let Micah give you his. My wife and I, well, let's, let, let me have you start because I've got more history of financial stupidity than you do. So, <laughs> so like, what, what, what experience did you have in school and everything else when it comes to finances? I had a financial class. Awesome. I, be, I believe that it was called Epic Economics, but it was more of a, a personal finance kind of class. Okay. Um, it was a you know Ramsey personal finance for high schoolers or something kind of course. And I should have listened to it better. Uh, some of the stats and percentages he gives are a little bit off, but the principles are still sound. I just didn't do any of it. So I was very irresponsible with money up through college, uh, got myself in a little bit of credit card debt up in college. And then when I graduated, I started learning a little bit more about money and because um, I was terrible with it. I didn't ever have a cent. I had nothing in my savings account. If it came in, it was going out. Uh, that was basically my habit. And so I tried to get better about it and save a little bit more before Darian and I got married because I figured, oh, it's time to be responsible. Now that I'm finally, you know, now that I'm getting married instead of beforehand, let's be responsible. <laughs> Uh, Instead of preparing, so, let's just right. <laughs> let's just pull the trigger now. Well, a month is enough to save, you know, <laughs> ten grand, right? So it was uh, not especially for a teacher. Yeah, <laughs> it was not um, fully productive, but you know, through Darian and a bunch of other resources that I've had, a bunch of books and, and you guys, I've learned a lot about financial literacy now, and and we're doing a lot better than you, I used to. There you go. See, see, and, and I've heard it said that your, uh, your financial literacy when you're a child has to do a lot with your parents, right? Like you're mm -hmm. going to inherit a lot of their financial knowledge. Well, my parents had no money. They were pastors and my mom always had to have another job. She tried to homeschool us as much as she could, but we ended up having to homeschool ourselves many times 
because she had to work so much. I'm very thankful she could be at home, but we received that kind of financial literacy. We didn't know anything, right? So when I went to college, I went to a private Christian university in Florida. And <laughs> when I came in, I said, hey, I don't know how the whole financial thing works. They said, no problem. Just sign these pieces of paper, basically, is what I was told, right. all, all the loan papers. So we graduated college, come to realize we had $140,000 of debt between us, just of school debt. And when you graduate one of you with an elementary education degree and the other a church ministries degree, you're pretty hopeless. <laughs> like the two, of the two of the lowest paying careers in the world, which I, I, of course I came out of college, you're realizing I don't want to be in ministry. I want to be in business and entrepreneurship, but the idea you still have $140,000 ball and chain around your ankles. So when you start with that, what is it any wonder that Americans in general are so bad off when mm. The advice we're told is go to school, get good grades, get a good, safe career uh, or a job, and they'll take care of you. Well, that was industrial age thinking. Yeah. If you, I was just reading a book today called called Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. He said that was great idea if you were born around 19, 10, 20, or 30. You're born after the 30s, 40s, or 50s. You're in the information age. And that advice, my generation doesn't even know what a pension is. <laughs> Your generation sure doesn't know what a pension is. And our, our kids are going to have to look in history books to figure out what a pension is. They keep trying to explain it. I still don't get what the, what those were. <laughs> Long story short, basically, you work for a company for 30, 40 years. They're going to give you retirement. Okay. The, the company will. You know, before so That still doesn't make any sense to me. I, you, it doesn't, you, you see, before the day when we relied on the government for everything, they, uh, the, the, okay. <laughs> the company still would take care of you. I see what happened now. There you go. <laughs> then, all of, then all of a sudden, the company said, no, we're going to change. I forget the words he used, but basically, we're going to have you responsible. That's where 401ks came out. Yeah. The company's not going to take care of you. They'll match what you put in sometimes, but it's still up to you. Right. So all, all that. What, what does that have to do with Richard for poor? Because you're walking into a marriage with a certain sense of financial literacy. When I say financial literacy, I mean financial intelligence. Financial smarts. There's three parts of finances that I've learned over the years. So I told you my history. Let me tell you the results my wife and I have had over the last few years. So I kind of feel like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, chapter four, when he says, I know what it's like to have nothing and I know what it's like to have enough, right? Because when we started our marriage, we had the results of our financial illiteracy. We had nothing. We moved in with my parents. We, we, I had a job at a cash and carry, which I was very thankful for, but it was a small Sam's club and not like they could pay $50,000 a year. Right. Yeah. So they paid me what they could, which I was appreciating. My wife got a full-time teacher's salary. So we had barely enough like most Americans today. Right. And then what happened? Our school loans came due and we owed $1,200 a month in school loans. Thank God for deferment, right? Cool, I got to defer them. Well, after you run out of deferment, then they come knocking. <laughs> so you're eventually going to have to pay them back. So my wife and I, about four years ago, five years ago now, started a financial program where we took a program of financial literacy. And we started to learn there's three parts of finance. There's offense, there's defense, there's a playing field. Offense is about how much you make and are you making more than you spend. Defense is about keeping more of what you make. And the playing field is the idea of knowing the rules, understanding inflation, understanding interest. How do you beat inflation? How do you stay away from interest against you? How do you make interest work for you? All those kind of things. Right. 
So we start learning these things. In the last four to five years, we've applied the right principles. We, we, did, we did a few really important things. We dug into a program to learn. So we dug into an education program. The second thing we did is we got mentors around us that could give us good advice. Because mm-hmm. principle number four that we learned in this program is quit taking advice from broke people. Yeah. Because that's what many of us do, right? So education program, mentors, and we got around... We got around the right information and and stopped putting the bad information in, mm. right? Because so I've heard it said part of learning is learning. The other part of learning is unlearning the bad stuff you knew. So for us, what we did is we started unlearning the bad. We started learning the new and we had accountability through mentors. And over the last few years, we've eliminated over $120,000 of, of debt. And we had gained some during the first years of our marriage. So we still have one school debt loan each. And we're completely out of debt. And I mean, no car, not like we're, that's going to be everything. Awesome. So I'm very thankful for what we've gotten. But here's the point. Do you think we had to grow in our marriage as all that was going on? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the point of what we want to talk about in this podcast. How do you do marriage in richer? How do you do marriage in poor? Because there, there, there's a lot of unsaid questions here. So, Michael, let me toss it back to you for a second. When it comes to when it comes to the beginning of a marriage, because you two, what you had to face is you were two independent people mm-hmm. who who were both either in college or finished with college, and you're trying to figure out how do I begin a marriage with two independent incomes, two independent spending habits? Because we know in a couple, there's always a spender and a saver, right? right? How do you get on the same page? Like, what are some things that you're trying to do? And I know you're still learning, so we'll I'm, figure I'm, it out eventually. Exactly. So I'm not <laughs> saying you've mastered this, right? But explain that process to me. What you have walked through, what you are walking through of the process of any marriage. How do you start getting on the same page with some of this? So I talked about my weaknesses and how I, I'm the spender, and and by default, almost that kind of makes Darian the saver. Usually. I mean, usually, you know, sometimes you have the double spender, and that's dangerous. And then sometimes you have the double saver, which is, which is just as dangerous. It is. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyway, so with Darian, she's very much a saver. She's very much a, much a conservationist. You know, she wants to save everything that she can. And with me, I'm the guy who wants to get paid. Well, I need to have something to reward myself I for getting through another <laughs> paycheck. So naturally, I go out and buy three Nintendo Switches. And so <laughs> the thing is... Thank God you married your wife. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So... With her being the saver, what I've started doing to try to, and I'm still not good at it, don't you know, think that I am, but what I've started doing is I've started asking her with even little purchases, not like $5 purchases, but with 10 and up. So you set a limit. Yes. I'm like, look, is this okay? Because I know she's the saver. And if she's keeping track of the finances and everything that's going on, and I keep track of the finances too. It's not like I don't look at them. But I, I, what I see as an okay spend, she may not agree. And what I want to do is understand her expectations on when is it okay to spend you know, $15 on some new cards for our card game versus when is it not? And so what I'm trying to do is understand that. Whereas what she's trying to learn, and this is the funny thing and why I say that two savers is a bad thing. What she's trying to learn is when can we have a little bit of fun with a little bit of excess that we've got? Because everybody needs that from time to time. Yeah. Because you need a shot in the arm to be like, you know what? You know, work's killing me. Relationships. We don't get to hang out with people that much. It's, 
it's time, you know, let's, let's do this. And so, um, you know, when we play card games, we have hobbies that, that, that keep us, um, keep us entertained when we want to be entertained. And we invest in books to try to get better at everything that we're doing. But I think the most important thing that we have learned and are still learning about each other, but we've gotten so, uh, so much better at it is when is it okay to have fun and spend a little money and when is it okay to have to say no you know and she's learning to say no right that's one of the big exercises she's having to do is telling me no on spending money and i told her you've got to because if you don't i won't (laughs) that means money's flying out the back door so um i'd say in a marriage i think that's the hard thing is not necessarily you know um savings like what do you have when you have two savings that come together but monthly and 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 your thinking right is what you're describing really well like what's yeah the way that you perceive like okay i perceive i've got a 900 hundred dollar paycheck coming in every two weeks let's say and i'm saying you know bills come out and it's 500 dollars in my so i've got 400 dollars left over 200 can go in savings and 200 i can spend well darian may look at it and go well let's say 300 can go into savings and 100 you can spend or 350 should go into savings and 50 you can spend because we have to make this big purchase or we have to save for this or something so it's like just learning the way that someone else sees the same exact paycheck Mm -hmm. is really the challenge um and, to me. And, and no, that's great. And that's a really good lead into what I was going to say, because what you're really describing is the idea of getting on the same page. And you may not even think this direction, but this is what I hear you saying is you have to be on the same page in your priorities. Yeah. And this is what I mean by that. You may know, okay, I'm getting this much money. Darian may know, but we have this payment coming up. Right. And, and in a few minutes, I want you to be thinking, cause I want you to speak to the importance of, especially early in your marriage, getting a budget. And yes. telling your money where to go. And so I'm going to get you to speak to that in a minute. And you telling your money where to go, not it telling you. Because if you don't tell it, it's going to leak. Yeah. It's going to leave. We're always going to run out of month before money unless we tell our money where to go. But before he talks about that, I, I want to speak to something he said. Because his idea was, are we on the same age and, are we on the same page in our priorities, right? So with our long-term and short-term priorities, that's kind of the two. We've got short-term in the next month to right. six months, even year, and long-term priorities, are we building towards a house? Are we building towards a car? Are we putting money towards a child's education? Because if you're not on the same page in those things, then for richer, for poor is never going to be a question because you're always going to be poor, yeah. is, is what I'm going to say. You're never going to have enough if you're not on the same page in your finances. Um, I'm going to speak to a couple principles that I've learned o- over the years and before, before I want you to speak to the budget. Because when it talks to getting on the same page, the first key that you've got to understand is being able to get more money only allows you more options. There's so many people that say, well, I don't care about money. Well, most people work 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week for money, so they do care about it. Yeah. Right? It's not that the money's the thing. Money's an amoral tool. What I mean is it's not good. It's not bad. If I had $1,000 sitting on this table, it's not going to get up and slap either of us in the face. Right. Right? It's not. It's what the person does with it. And I've, I've heard the joke, actually, we don't know if you're good or bad because you don't have money yet. Because <laughs> so, money, money. Um, I, f- I forget the speaker. It's an amplifier. It's an amplifier, and I forget who said it. But um, power doesn't, power doesn't corrupt. Um, it, it reveals. Yeah, it's the same way with money. 
money doesn't corrupt. Money reveals. Right. If good people have more money, what are they going to do? They're going to do more good. So all that more money does is provides options. That, that That's what I want you, people to start thinking because I'm a big proponent on financial education, financial literacy, especially inside marriage because the three things that cause more divorce. Now, one thing I'm going to say is nothing causes divorce. You choose divorce. Yeah. Right? But the three biggest causes that can lead to that choice are finances, sex, and in-laws. Yep. So if you're going to master any three things, <laughs> there's some people that may say, well, I don't mind mastering those things. Well, <laughs> step back a minute, right? <laughs> and I, I don't care about what people may say is the fun part of marriage. The things that are fun one day can cause the biggest fights the next if they're not handled correctly. Right. Right. And go back to our last podcast and listen to her better for worse. Are you becoming better in your marriage? So when it comes to finances, when we say things like you need to have more money so you can have more options, I want you to have more options in your marriage. Do you have the option to take vacations? I know a lot of people that end up getting divorced because they never spend time together. Why do they not spend time together? Because they're so financially strapped that they can't afford to go on vacation or they can't afford to leave work for a time period, right? Mm. So many people tell me we're, we don't want to focus on money, but we can't do what we truly want to do because of money. Right. I'm like, what that you're speaking both sides out of the same mouth. James chapter three says, don't speak blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. Right. The idea is you need to figure out how can I learn some financial literacy, but when it really comes down to it. And after you talk about budget, I want to come here with what time we have left it really doesn't matter how much money you have. It's your heart that deals with what you have, that deals with whether it's better or worse in finances. So real quick, speak to budgets and how you're learning and in the process of this right now, how that kind of amplifies what you're able to do. Because you've been able to do things that your age people shouldn't be able to do. Right. You've paid off medical bills that you shouldn't be able to pay off, yeah. right? So you've done a lot of stuff, and it's a lot because of your budget and what Darian's learning. But speak to that for just a couple minutes. So um, I think just like anyone out there who works with the defense side of financial literacy, budgets are incredibly important because what it does is, like you said, if you're not telling your money where to go, it's going to tell you where it goes. And not in the sense that it lets you know either, right? (laughs) It's more like like the the 16-year-old who just kind of leaves the house without telling the parents where it's going. It's just gone. (laughs) And so (laughs) so, um, when I first started making budgets and, and understanding like, okay, here's where my money has to go, right? Now what I need to do is allocate the few dollars that I have left over wherever it wherever I can put it, right? Savings or emergency fund or it needs to go towards this debt extra, right? Like I need to pay extra on this credit card in order to get this paid off quickly. Um, I can put extra wherever I need to based on the excess that I have. And that kind of budgeting is usually, and this is the way that Darian and I actually do it, usually based on a kind of envelope system. Mm-hmm. A lot of different... Uh, you know, financier teachers, guys tell you the envelope system and what they want you to do is take, you know, the, your next paycheck, put the amount of money that goes in an envelope for rent, put the amount of money that goes in for an envelope for electricity and so on and so forth for all your bills. And then you put so much in an envelope for food, so much in an envelope for gas and all the things that, you know, you allot so much money towards. And then when one envelope's empty, in order for you to fill that envelope back up and use it for that thing, for instance, if you blow it all on groceries because you bought so many different kinds of coffee, then guess what? You're pulling out of another envelope to try to get that cereal that you have to eat in the morning for breakfast. 
So it makes you think about, okay, I blew all my money here. I either can't get anything or I'm sacrificing the well-being of something else in order to take care of this need. And that means that something else is probably going to have to be compensated for later too. So so we we actually have an electronic, uh, a lot of banks are doing this now where they have the envelope system for you. Mm -hmm. And we have one that, that does that. And so that's how we do it. Every time our paycheck goes in, it pulls all that money out and sticks them that we've allotted into those uh, different expense categories, and that's it. We don't have to touch it again, and it won't ever get pulled out on its own. That's fantastic. It's funny because I talk to a lot of couples, and they'll say, well, we can't do that with ours. I'm, this is the interesting part, and, and if you're a listener, I want you to have an open mind for a second. You're already on a budget. Yeah. It's either a good budget or a bad budget. You're already spending money. You just either know where it's going or you don't. Right. And I hear some people they're like, well, we just pay bills. I'm like, no, you, 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 you do other things, right? <laughs> like people get haircuts or we pe- just pay bills while we eat out eight times a week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just pay bills while I'm holding a Starbucks coffee. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so as we kind of end this, I want to come back to a overall picture here because for better, or for worse, I do want to bring up Philippians chapter four in a real way. Cause the apostle Paul says, I know what it's like to have a little, I know what it's like to have a lot. And then comes one of the most popular verses in scripture that we want mm-hmm. to misquote all the time. We want to say, because we all know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And a lot of people use that in sports or they it's use baseball. it in business or I can hit all home runs through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to hit that home run. <laughs> What's it really talking about? What it's really talking about is contentment. Right. Now, please note contentment, not complacency. And now that's a whole nother podcast for another time, but I can't stand people who say, well, I don't want anything else. Well, that's complacency Yep. because it's okay for you not to want anything else. But do you know some, do you know a charity who could be blessed if you made some more money to give to it? Do you know a church? I know our church could use some more money, right? <laughs> All churches and charities could use more money and could do yep. great things with it. Or else there'd be no problems left. There you go. But, and, and, and here's the real deal. Why, why do more churches have not have enough money? Because people struggle with finances. Right. So when it comes down to it, the Apostle Paul is saying, is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be rich. I can be poor. And that's what I want to end with is what the wedding vow is saying is I am committed to you because remember, the wedding vow is about commitment. I am committed to you if we have a little. I'm committed to you if we have a lot. Right. And what we should be saying is I'm going to learn how to be forgiving. I'm going to learn how to be patient. And I'm going to learn how to do this with you. Yeah. That's really what we should be committing to. So for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, it has more to do with a mindset than it does an amount. Yeah. Are you willing to commit to this person regardless how rich you are, regardless of the house you live in, regardless if you go through four cars in a year, like are are you committed to not letting finances drive you apart? Mm. That's what I want to ask people. Are you willing to say, I will not let finances, which should not, they should not be the centerpiece of life, but true, we are going to be working for them the majority of our lives. But the real question is what's your attitude about finances? That's what yeah. Jesus cares about more, by the way. He doesn't care about your bank account. He cares about your attitude and your heart. Right. So, so Micah, go, go and end us here. What, what, what's kind of a couple closing comments or things you'd like to say? Um, I'd check out, you know, there are wonderful resources out there now for free. You, I, I, there's one guy, the Minority Mindset on YouTube. He's pretty good. There are a few um, channels on YouTube that are really good for financial literacy. People are trying to spread the word now because I think it's become more of a crisis now. Very true. Than 
a problem, if that makes sense. It's like if you were to equate this to sickness before it was a flu and now our body's shutting down. Yeah. And and I think that seeing that, there are a lot of resources mm-hmm. out there. Um, and so I would recommend looking at those. Uh, of course, a lot of the classics, like The Richest Man in Babylon, um, and one of, one of the best. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. There's some some great books that I think people need to check out to to see where, you know, early on personal finance and economics kind of mm-hmm. kind of stemmed. So, and I love how the books you talked about focused on principles. Right, they're not even given specifics. Richest Man in Babylon is all principles. It's one, yeah. of, the, one of the best financial books. So, uh, one of the thing I did want to throw out at the end is I'm going to encourage everybody to. I'm going to encourage a mindset change here for people because yes, we're going through a financial crisis, but unfortunately we're still really focused on our comforts and we are willing to spend money on our comforts. But for some reason, we're not willing to invest money into our education to change our lives. So I'm going to encourage everybody to start with the freebies, right? Start with the things that you can get for free, but here's what I'm going to tell you. And just as a straight up point and principle. If you are not willing to invest money into your financial education, you will not change. Right. You will not change. Laura and I invested $120 into our program that we follow. It's called the financial fitness program through life leadership. And there's a lot of good ones that I can name drop, right? Dave Ramsey is great on the defensive side. Susie Orman's great on the defensive side. Crown financial on the defensive, on the offensive, how to make more money and expand. You've got Robert Kiyosaki, some of Donald Trump's older books before he's president, right? <laughs> Have good principles in them. Some of those principles are good. So there, and then on the playing field, you can learn things through even going all the way back to some of the founding fathers, right? right? That talked about some of your early, um, I was trying to, uh, I can't remember the name of some of the books, but so go back and read some of those. The program that I use, I enjoy because it covers offense, defense, and playing field. It covers all right. three, the financial fitness program, but I don't care what you use, but what I'll tell you is start with freebies, but then find something that costs money. The reason I say that is you need to invest. You need to plant seeds in the ground. There's a lot of people that if they just do all the freebies, they're expecting a harvest when they didn't plant seeds. Yep. You're going to value something you put money into. So find a program, dive into it and commit to it. Because here's the other thing. If you pay money for it, you're going to use it. Right. If you if it's for free, you may use it. You may not. So start with the freebies, then pay something and invest. Put seeds in the ground for your education. So yeah. I hope you got something from this podcast. Thank you for listening today. Mike, anything else? Um, all I'd say is just to follow up. Yes, please buy books and start actually educating yourself on personal finances because Watching YouTube videos is easy, right? Mm-hmm. But that unfortunately means that you can get a bunch of five-second digest clips on a bunch of stuff and not ever learn anything deep and meaningful about those things. Um, and that unfortunately means you're not going to do anything about it. Very true. So. And the last thing I'll say is find a mentor. Yes. Find, find some accountability because you will not succeed on your own. So appreciate you listening to tonight's episode of, of The Soapbox. Um, Just remember this, the world does not need another artificial copy. The world needs an original you. So grab your soapbox, stand on it, go change the world. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find the soapbox on Apple or Google podcast, and you can join the conversation by finding our Facebook page, Soapboxes Media, our Twitter handle at Soapboxes Media, or send us an email at soapboxesmedia at gmail.com.